What's up, Zach Oates here, author, entrepreneur, and customer relationship guru. Welcome to Give an Ovation, growth strategies for restaurants and retailers, where we find industry leaders to share their secrets to grow your business. This podcast is sponsored by Ovation, the actionable guest feedback tool that works on or off premise and is easy, real time, and actually drives revenue. Learn more at OvationUp.com. Welcome to another edition of Give an Ovation. I am joined today by Jensen Cummings, fifth generation chef, over 22 years in the biz. And this guy's got over 400 podcast episodes on Best Served Podcast. And then recently, the Restaurant Idea Factory. He's the founder of Best Served Creative, genuinely stand up guy, super cool. I've loved getting to know him over the last few months. Jensen, welcome on Give an Ovation. That was a great intro. Love, <laughs> love that. Restaurant Idea Factory, too. Wouldn't be what it is without you, especially how hyped up you get us. Dude, we get, I love it, man. I love the concept. I love the idea. Love what you're doing. Actually, why don't we talk about that for a second? Let, let's sure. talk about, I, I'd love to, to, to dive into what you're doing at Best Served uh, Creative, but also let's talk a little bit about Restaurant Idea Factory. This let's is a, right a cool it, concept. How to come about? What is it? That's where this started. So Restaurant Idea Factory is a is a new media company, really collaboration between myself, Sean Walsh, chef of Cali Barbecue Media, who's also got the Restaurant Influencers podcast, Digital Hospitality, and then Kyle and Sarah, who's out in New York, who's uh, kind of on the real estate side of the restaurant industry now. And he's got the National Restaurant Owners podcast, as well as uh, real estate, commercial real estate school. So you know, we'd been vibing. We had been on each other's shows. We had done clubhouses together. We kind of had like a text thread going. We're like, hey, we're just disruptors in the space trying to do something unique and interesting. And I think it was Kyle who said, hey, have you seen the BFFs show? Dave Portnoy's like show. I was like, yeah, I think I've seen a clip or two. I was like, what are you getting at? He's like, well, it's just kind of a show where the three of them just kind of talk about what's happening, read headlines and and get into kind of what the, the zeitgeist of the moment is. Like we could do that for restaurants. There's nobody doing that, right? There's lots of us talking heads out here being like, here's what's wrong. Here's the solutions. Here's these stories of chefs and people across the industry, but nobody is like really reading the headlines. And so we kind of thought, is this an opportunity for us to become the kind of the, the media center? Like, do we become yeah. the nightly news? And, and that was kind of the impetus of it. It was like, we said, yes, like instantly it was like a text. We were all like, yep. <laughs> Why haven't we been doing that for the last two years that we've been connected? And so that was like really where it started. Awesome. Well, I, I love it. I think you guys are just crushing it. Awesome podcast. Everyone should listen to and talk to me about best serve creative. What, what is best serve creative and, and why did you start that? Yeah. Best serve creative, man, it's, it's an amalgamation of my kind of journey through the industry. I think it's, it's morphed a hundred times just through the, through the pandemic, I think basically best of creative is like, where, where would we be best served to be a part of this industry? Yeah. Right. And to give you an idea, you mentioned the fifth generation. I think about that a lot, right? So my family started our first restaurant in 1900, right? 120 no years. We've been little falls, Minnesota called La Fond house. Uh -huh. I've only seen pictures of it. It looked like one of those saloons where Wyatt Earp would have shot somebody out front, right? That kind uh -huh. of thing. <laughs> guy playing the organ piano with the bowler cap on, all of that, that kind of place. And that was great, great grandparents, then great grandparents and grandparents or restaurateurs in San Francisco. 
And then my dad's three younger brothers all own restaurants in three different states. My younger brother, he worked for me for uh, years in Denver. And so we just have that family legacy, right? And it's interesting because I've never been told when are you going to get a real job? I, I think about that a lot because uh-huh. so many people, it's a transient business. My family has been successful, whatever that means in this industry. So that always kind of fueled and empowered me. But at some point, I went in this steep trajectory where it was dishwasher at 17, all the way to chef at 24 years old, then chef owner at 29, then burnout by 33. Naturally. This Uh steep, steep trajectory. Yeah. A lot of people know. And so I had to take a step back and say, okay, well, do I want to be a part of this industry? How do I contribute? And then when I had kids, I was like, do I want them to be the sixth generation? And Zach, absolutely not was my answer. Really? Like, I, I was like, I, my, my advice to them, get a real job. And so I had to either walk <laughs> away and I tried to a few different times, or I had to triple down on what it means to be a part of the restaurant and hospitality industry. And that's what I decided to do. And Best Serve Creative was born from that. I need to find a role and a position, which is no longer being the quarterback on the field, the hot shit chef. I had to figure out how I can wear the headset and the clipboard and contribute in a meaningful way, right? Yeah. In a very different way. And so that was a huge challenge. And Besser was kind of born from that. And we do a lot of different works. We do media and marketing. We do a lot to develop and cultivate workplaces worth working. That's kind of the the, the foundation of, of Best Serve Creative was really we do a lot of strategy consulting work on developing completely new business models. We needed to find a way to kind of be the end-to-end solution to be the connective tissue because so much of our industry is siloed that there's all these different entities. And I'm sure that you feel that you're like, how do I fit in as ovation within the construct of what a restaurant is? Well, one of the struggles is a restaurant business model is a bad business model. Full stop. It's a bad business model. And so we had to figure out how do we reinvent that business model. And so we, you know, we've attacked the restaurant budget and PL because it doesn't serve us very well. The numbers that are the quote unquote industry standard are not viable. They're not equitable, profitable, and sustainable in so many different ways yeah. playing out today. And so we, you know, we've had to, we've had to take a deep look and I have had to take a lot of responsibility for the state of this industry. I helped build this and we see a lot of industry professionals and restaurants blaming quote unquote kids these days. They didn't build this industry. We did. So we have to find a way to leave it better than we found it. And that's really the mission. So I saw that you were working on the line and I even saw that you worked in some, you know, worked in seafood as well, which to me, I don't, I don't love seafood. So I think that that <laughs> just sounds like it would be really, really rough. Um, but why did you get off the line? That is probably for my physical, mental, and financial health. I was, I was so bought into the chef lifestyle, right? And I think this is, this is a, a vulnerability of the industry. And what I hope becomes a, a really pedestal that we can put this industry on is that we bring people in at 15, 16, 17 years old. I was a dishwasher at 17 years old at my uncle's restaurant, Wallaby's Bar and Grill in Ames, Iowa, right? Punk kid, graduated high school in San Diego. My uncle said, get out here get away from all the shit you're getting yourself into down there. I'll put you to work. You know, you come hit on college girls for a summer. <laughs> and I got on in that dish pit. And I'm six, two. I saw dishes as tall as I am 
I was hooked instantly. Like I love the chaos of it. I love the artistry and the craft of it. I love the camaraderie. I lived with like four other dudes that I worked with at the restaurant. And so I found my people. I never quite fit in anywhere. And I found a place to fit in. The problem is that we stay in that 17 year old mindset for our entire careers. Mm. And so when I'm looking at I was part of the kind of the Food Network effect. I started in this industry in 2000. That's really when Food Network started to gamify food. And it kind of turned us into caricatures of ourselves. Right? And we bought into it. We thought, oh, well, yelling at people like Gordon Ramsay and throwing plates at people's head, like that is the upper echelon of this industry. Michelin starred chefs who are so regimented that a movie like The Menu comes out and we yeah. go, oh, that's probably what restaurants are like. They, they basically are murder boxes. And <laughs> I don't know how untrue that is. And so that, that's a struggle. A huge struggle for us is that we don't, we don't evolve. We don't turn ourselves into like true leaders. We just keep staying 17-year-old kids who figure it out and hustle. And that's hard. And that, that wore on me and I, I, I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, I I get it, man. It's 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 a rough industry. I mean, I remember working working in the kitchen. I was a soda jerk, and I was yeah. a one. I was doing all Dude. the all like the, the to go window, the ice cream, and and uh, serving customers in. And like you know, I was our station was right next to the the cooks, and um, you know, servers yelling at us when we get our get the dessert wrong, and it's just like such an intense environment back there and so intense yeah but it's it's wild it's passionate it's exciting but man sometimes you want to go in there and you want to like you know you, i, I want to go to work i want to have a good day i want to go home i don't want anyone to yell at me mm -hmm. uh and it's it's tough though right well that's now, why restaurants are struggling right now zach i mean you you see you know labor shortages and big old air quotes it's not necessarily a labor shortage. It's a, it's a culture shortage in restaurant where it's playing yeah. out at mass scale. And we've been called out. Restaurants are not a great place to work. What do we do with that information? Do we blame kids these days and say, they're not as passionate. They're not as committed. They're entitled. They're lazy. That's just not true. You're going to find that. Of course, there are people my age that are lazy. There's people, boomers that are lazy. Like there's... Yeah. You can't you can't categorize people like that. We're not giving them a reason to work here. They have options, right? We are the most entitled culture in the history of the world. So you're trying to say a 22 year old kid is more entitled than a 45 year old, like that. That you're you're chintzing quarters of a penny to say like, look how much better I am than this person. They have options. They don't yeah. need to get a plate thrown at their head to pr to prove that they want to be a part of something and, and work at this place. They can go flip shit on eBay and make more money, right? <laughs> they can go, they can take their family's lumpia recipe and sell frozen lumpia direct to consumer on Instagram. I don't Isn't need you nuts? chef. Like right. <laughs> well, and, and you're seeing a, a big wave of people leaving these celebrity restaurants to go do their own thing. Like Absolutely. one of the, biggest hot spots of restaurants and you know we talked about this before but i do a lot of trade shows a lot of tra traveling last year i i went on 34 trips you know i i've been all over this country and one of the things that i will say is one of the most underrated food scenes oh here we go is las vegas 
you have these incredible chefs coming in to work for these at these celebrity restaurants. And then they're just like, you know what? This actually sucks. Like <laughs> I, I don't like this. So they'll go off strip and they'll open up their own thing and oh. it's exploding. Oh, yeah. And there are such incredible restaurants both on and off the strip. And I feel like people often think about Vegas and they think about the, you know, two ninety nine prime rib buffet. But at the end of the day, today, 2023, there is a fire food scene there because of people trying to create a different culture of people walking away from what always was this, this high intensity yelling plate, throwing bread, uh, two, two pieces of bread on the side of your face. And what are you an idiot sandwich? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> that whole thing. It's just, we, we've moved on from that, that, uh, early days, uh, American idol, Simon Cowell. That's not what people want anymore. Right. Yeah. That's not what they want to watch. That's not what they want to live. That's not where they want to mm. work. It's a slow shift though. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Vegas is interesting. I think of Keith Lee out uh -huh. there who's doing the food reviews and like highlighting a lot of just really small independent restaurants, uh, three Oh three in the cut. If you want to go check out a dope food truck, check out his TikTok page as well. And yeah, I like going to the uh, the kind of the Asian strip off the strip. Like oh that's where you gosh. get the hole in the walls, Dude. the second floor places, second like floor places, strip malls. And, and with a uh, every single strip mall has at least at least one foot massage place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, because you walk around one casino, it's like you took a trip around an entire city. Right? You're like, oh, that's just two casinos down. You're like, that's like a hour and a half walk you yeah. take for granted how big those places are i know look, when i go to vegas i'll also go one of the best re uh, meals i ever had was uh, uh my 30th birthday surprise flew out to vegas with uh, my wife betsy and we went and sat at the counter at l'atelier joel robuchon's restaurant oh, it was, it was uh -huh. brilliant brilliant meal so i love that like i love the swagger and the high end and going to you know a, a jose andres place or something like that and then get me the hell off the strip I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. And and there is some really good stuff off the strip. So anyway, especially in, in like, you know, Chinatown, man, there's some really, really good food there. So anyway, we could talk about food wrecks all day, all day. Um, but let's talk about guest experience. What do you think is the most important aspect of guest experience nowadays, Jensen? Mm, great guest experience comes from great employee experience. This Amen. is a huge mindset shift. The internal guest, right? You know. Amen. We just had on Bob Anderson, and this is like from, from the great Greek UFG. Uh, he was talking exactly about this. Love it. Preach it, Jensen. Yeah, that's what we need to flip, right? The customer comes first. The customer is always right. Those are fallacies, absolute fallacies that we've bought into for so long. Can't say no to the guest. That doesn't mean you always have to say yes. We have to build a culture internally. And because we have been a part of so many great moments, memorable moments, people's first date, people's anniversary, people's birthdays. Somehow we feel like through osmosis, we absorb all the feels from those experiences. The reality is we leave it all on the field. There's no hospitality left for ourselves. And we have to have some self-hospitality. We have to have hospitality for the people that actually make those experiences possible because then the guest has a great experience not the facade that we continue to throw up that is getting exposed right now and is massively vulnerable. And again, is not a good business model. And so I make the, I make the emotional pull. I talk about restaurant culture a lot and a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I get it. 
but they're trying to understand the, the business decision. And so one of the things that I talk about with them, Zach, is we've restructured that, that operating budget, that P&L, as I mentioned. And one of the things that we did is we, we have regrouped a lot of the line items so that we can be like, what are all the ways we're investing in our people? And what's the yes. upside potential? What's the ROI on that? Because we look at direct labor as our number one cost. I look at it as our number one investment opportunity. That's a missed opportunity in 95% of restaurants. And then we've also done something where we looked at, we looked at overall productivity. So we look at, you know, labor hours, right? We look at, we look at PPA, we look at guest frequency, we look at waste. And I believe that those are direct costs or the potential to drive top line revenue directly tied to your tenure, right? And when we have turnover rates of 75% plus over the last decade, we're over hundred. I mean, we have 130% is as high as I've heard it over the last three years. It's ridiculous. Yeah. For employees, then it's like 70, 80 for managers. Exactly. And the cost, if you look at the direct costs, five, $6,000 for a line level, 12 to $14,000 for that manager, just on the attrition cost of that, the training cost and finding new people and all those type of things. But I think about PPA. If you have a stable team that guests are coming in, they trust you. They believe in you when you say you got to try this Riesling. They believe you when you say you got to save room for dessert. They believe you uh-huh. because they know you and they trust you. But if it's a new person every single time, that PPA goes down significantly. That's, uh, that's revenue. That's top line revenue. Guest frequency goes down. People don't come as often to the place that they don't know what kind of experience they're going to have. They don't know that their favorite bartender is going to be there every time that they go. Guest frequency is reduced. Waste is increased significantly, two, three percentage points. And if you're doing a million dollars, that is significant loss because people don't know the SOPs. They haven't been trained properly. We're understaffed, all of those things. So when I think about it, I say, here's your investment. Here are the top line revenue drivers that nobody talks about. Those don't even exist on, on operating budgets for restaurants. Zach. You are running separate reports completely, if ever, to look at those type of numbers. And to me, I'm like, why don't we aggregate that information in a way that we can make it actionable in one of the core uh, tools that we use, which is a budget. And so that's, that's how I see culture feeding into being a good business decision. And again, we are, we are trying to be a soup to nuts to be that connective tissue so that we can be translators across all these baton handoffs that it takes to run a restaurant. And everybody is so siloed that they're not having those conversations. And the reality is restaurant culture and hiring and your P&L, it's the same to me. It's exactly the same conversation. And if you're looking to get uh, to level up your leadership, for for you, two books I would recommend are mm. How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. Incredible book, really getting to the motivation of what makes people tick and uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. Those are two phenomenal books that I would recommend every leader read and learn how to instill that in others. And one one trick that I've found, I, I don't want to call it a trick, but let's let's call it a, as we're, we're going to get to tactics here in just a second. So let's call this a tactic. One thing that I've learned is how do you show your people that you really care about them? And one of the things that I've found to be extremely successful, there's a lot of research done, is one simple question. Want to know what that question is? I really do. Well, tune in next time to find no. 
<laughs> the one question is, how's life? And when you're able to ask your people, how's life? And genuinely listen and care. It opens them up to trusting you. It opens them up to feeling like you care. And so they in turn will care. And you, you know, don't do it out of a, out of a motivation, just like make more money from them, but do it out of a motivation to, to show them that you care. And that has been something that has uh, been transformational for me as a leader to realize it's like, Hey, I, I do care about this person, but how do I show it? And that simple two word question, how's life that opens up the floodgates of trust and shows that you care. Ooh, I got to shorten mine up. I, I like, I talk about, uh, you know, what can I take off your plate? I'm always trying to find ways that I can support and take something off their plate. Cause a lot of my job is to put things on other people's plate. Uh, that's part of my job. And I think the most important part is to take things off their plate. And I learned so much about what are they asking me to do for them or to support them in? It probably is something they don't like to do. So can I find a way to build additional layers or infrastructure or, you know, have aces in their places because uh -huh. they're willing to do the job and grind through it, but that's what they don't want to do. So I use that as an opportunity to say, okay, well, that means to mean everything else is what you do enjoy doing. How can we then shift your job to spend more time doing what you love doing? And leaders eat last. I'm gonna throw that book out there. Oh, me, as you dude, out. yes, I love oh, that man. one. And shoot, man, if we're if we're throwing out books still, oh, let's go right along your thing. What can I take off your plate? There's a great book called Essentialism by Greg McEwen, and awesome book all about how do you systematically take things off of your plate and other people's plates. Um, anyway, we could talk books and strategies all day. <laughs> I want to talk tactics real quick. Okay. What's a tactic that you have uh, seen successful lately? Tactic for guest experience. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. All about that guest experience. Guest experience presented by Ovation. Real quick. If you're not watching <laughs> Restaurant Idea Factory, for everything I'm putting out there, you need to for what Zach's putting out there. He has a segment on the show every single week called Guest Experience, right? And yep. you put us in a position to, you like, you challenge us, man. We talked about augmented reality. We just talked about how we create raving fans. Like, every week, and I just saw before we hopped on, you sent out this week's clip, and I, I'm excited to look at it. So every time I see it come through, I'm excited because I know that you're going to to flip us on our head somehow. And we need that kind of thought leadership. And we need somebody who's willing to ask questions that most people are not willing or able to do, to ask. And so I really, really appreciate that. So the tactic for guest experience uh, that I've found is, is, I guess I kind of already said that. I think for you to do everything that you can to make tenure, the most important aspect of what you're building within your business. So the best guest experience is for them to see that friendly face every single time they come or that person they love because they talk shit and tell great jokes, whatever it is, that human is creating that experience. The more often that that human creates that experience, the better that experience is for the guest, the more money they spend, the more often they come back. That's the Holy Trinity. That's what you're looking for in a restaurant. That's the tactic. Tenure has to be number one. And you need to put people in a position to be able to create that guest experience because that's what they're looking for. If you want to go Amen. to the McDonald's that's fully automated and that's the experience you want, amazing. People won't be a part of that. If you're every other restaurant that people need to be front and center, 
make the people who work with you front and center first, because then the guests will come. My, my wife worked for, for Marriott for a lot of years, and they had a simple saying that I remember where it's you take care of your associates, associates take care of the guests, the guest comes back. And it's kind of like, well, no shit. But we don't do that enough. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, I know it's e- easy said, tough done. That's that's the specific tactic is get the same people in front of your guests as often as possible. Love it. And now you you talk to hundreds of restaurant leaders. Who's someone that deserves innovation in the restaurant industry? Who's someone that we should be following? Oh, there's a lot of good ones. I just came up today as we were talking about one of our segments, Jordan Bush from from Seven Shifts. Oh, give a shout them. out to a couple of restaurants. Jordan's awesome. And give a shout out to a couple restaurant tours. One of them was uh, Zingerman's right there up in Madison, Wisconsin. They've built an amazing thing there. Jihei Kim from Miss Kim is one of the smartest restaurant tours that I've come across in a long time. Thinks about how to meld her culture of Korean cuisine with the bounty of Michigan in a very unique way. So I love that from a, from a brand and concept position. Also thinking about leadership women in hospitality, workplaces worth working, what we call our goal of, of creating a better workplace environment. And so Jihei is somebody you should be paying attention to across the industry. Just James Beard award nominee checks so many boxes that I didn't even know we needed until I met Jihei. So that's somebody that I would definitely look into. Awesome. And then Jensen, how do people find and follow you? Yes. Go to Two places I really like right now, restaurantideafactory.com. You need to get on what we're doing there. The number one thing I want people doing on restaurantideafactory.com is submitting a topic. It's been really great having people. There's a little form where you can drop a link to an Eater article or a New York Times article, or you can just put in a topic. That's my favorite thing is I manage the info at restaurantideafactory.com email because I want to feel people's joy and pain, the questions that they have the things they're excited about, the things that they're petrified that they're losing sleep over. When I see those questions or those links come in, you know, that they're worried about drought in California, I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that from a supply chain standpoint. Let me read five articles on it and get educated. It's really empowering for them. And I think for me, and it starts relationship. And then uh, go to bestofcreative.com. Anybody out there who's wanting to build those workplaces worth working, Go to bestservecreative.com. Uh, my business partner, Andrew Parr, is doing an amazing job of like really helping support businesses there and uh, getting me on calls with people to get them fired up and challenge them and ask them all the questions nobody else is willing or able to. So those are two places I like right now. Love it, Jensen. Well, buckle up for this one. Are you ready? I'm ready. For leaving the cooking line where you were serving cod fast to getting online, serving us with your podcast, today's ovation goes to you. Thank you for joining us on Given Ovation, Jensen. Cheers. Glad you're with us today, and thank you. Thank you to the risk takers, the troublemakers, the crazies who are keeping this world clothed and fed. You're the ones who deserve an ovation. Again, this podcast was sponsored by Ovation. To see how we can help you grow your business, go to OvationUp.com. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, remember to give someone in your life an ovation today.